Have you ever had to keep a secret? It's difficult sometimes. It's harder than you'd expect to keep secrets. This weekend, we took our kids to the Great Wolf Lodge for Jude's birthday. He he turned seven later this week. And we kept it a secret for our own sanity because we didn't want our kids asking for a month when the day was that we were going to Great Wolf Lodge, but also to increase his joy in receiving this gift that we had prepared for him. We allowed and desired for the anticipation to build to allow him to discover it along the way. So on Thursday when we left, we started preparing things. We, we didn't alert him to the fact that we were preparing them. We just kind of drew his attention to a couple of items. So we took our dog to the place we leave him when we go out of town. That was unusual and he began asking questions about that. And he also noticed in the back of the car that we had some bags and some luggage. And that must mean that we're going to stay the night somewhere. Immediately, he thought he was going to his Nona's house, which he loves. He loves going to his grandma and grandpa's house. But we told him, no, surprisingly, we're going to an even better place. And his mind began to be blown because what could be better than grandma and grandpa's? And as we drove... We let the anticipation build, even though he could not fully grasp all the clues we were revealing along the way. He's not lived here very long. He doesn't know the significance of crossing over into Virginia. He doesn't know the significance of going into the city of Williamsburg. But his anticipation was peaked until the moment when that anticipation became reality. And we turned the corner and went down the driveway toward the Great Wolf Lodge. Once the secret was revealed, his joy could not be contained. He screamed, thrilled that he was going to spend a couple of days at Great Wolf Lodge. And I got to tell you, as parents, it was a wonderful sight to behold. The secret was worth it. There's been a secret running throughout the Gospel of Matthew often referred to as the messianic secret. Now, it's featured more in Mark's gospel, but it is certainly present in the gospel of Matthew. We see it first way back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, after Jesus heals a leper. It's a miraculous healing. And do you remember what Jesus tells the man after he's healed? Tell no one. Don't tell anyone What's just happened to you? And we see similar events in Matthew chapter 9, verse 30, Matthew chapter 12, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 20, and chapter 17, verse 9. And every time we come to a passage like this, it seems strange that Jesus would not want to know, or people would not want people to know who he is, that he would want to keep it a secret. But that's what, it's exactly what he desired until now. Until this moment, because before our eyes, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus reveals who he is. To this point, he was not ready. The time was not at hand to show the masses who he was or or why he came. Now listen, he did give glimpses and hints for those who were truly paying attention, for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. But the full declaration of Jesus as the promised king, the son of David, the son of Abraham needed to be offered at the exact right moment to fulfill God's larger redemptive purposes and increase our joy in receiving it. And today in Matthew 21, 
we get to witness that glorious moment. Friends, we get to turn the corner into the driveway of Great Wolf Lodge. Let me tell you, church, the secret no longer needs to be kept. Moreover, the secret must not be kept. Jesus is declaring to us and to all the nations that he is the promised king. Now, he will be a different king than we expected, but the promised king nonetheless. And we now can tell everyone about him. As the crowds ask the central question of our passage, really the central question of Matthew and all humanity, who is this man? May we receive the revelation from God in Christ today that Jesus is our king. Let's read the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 21. Here's what the word of God says. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it into a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infant and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of that city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, we've moved past the end of Matthew chapter 20, which we covered on Mother's Day, the, the passage of a mother's request, to two very familiar stories at the beginning of Matthew chapter 21. They should be familiar to you if you've spent any time around the church or in God's Word. I, I remember being taught them often in vacation Bible school, the story of the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple. It wasn't, though, until I began studying the Gospel of Matthew in depth that I understood what Jesus was doing in these stories and why Matthew records them together at this precise moment as Jesus finally begins his ministry in Jerusalem. Every action that Jesus takes in these verses, every action that he takes in this section of Scripture is purposeful. 
It's symbolic. Every move that he makes is meant to tie his ministry to the larger redemptive purpose that God has been planning from the beginning of time. Each act is a declaration that Jesus is the promised king. And there are four revelatory acts of Christ in our passage that I want us to take note of to make sure that we understand what Jesus is declaring to us this morning. The first revelatory act that we're gonna take note of is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. And we see this in verses one to 11. Jesus declares himself to be king by entering Jerusalem on a donkey, a colt, unridden, unbroken, but mastered by Jesus, the Lord of all creation. As Jesus and the disciples draw near to Jerusalem, they stop on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city, overlooking the temple. And Jesus sends two of his disciples to go and bring back to him a female donkey and her colt for him to ride on as he enters the city. And we need to know that there is messianic purpose in Jesus making this request. He wasn't asking for a donkey just because he was tired. He got sick of walking. No, Jesus wanted to make a declaration through this symbolic act. You see, kings and rulers entered into the cities that they had authority over in specific ways during the time of Jesus. When a king came into a city, he was met with enormous fanfare. Now, sometimes kings would enter in and on horses or riding in chariots, usually after a city was conquered or during times of war. But rulers and kings would enter on a donkey in times of peace. Because who can fight a war on a donkey? I guess you could try, but it probably wouldn't be very successful. Moreover, in riding on a donkey, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. A prophecy that was given all the way back in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. In that passage, in Zechariah 9, God is comforting his people after 20 years 20 years after they've returned from their exile. The return has not gone as expected. Pagan nations are still reigning over them and they see their day, according to Zechariah, as a day of small things, not great things. But God promises them a king, a king who will bring peace, a king who will set things right, a king who is righteous and will bring salvation. Listen to this promise to God's people through the prophet Zechariah. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We are asked to recognize through this integration of prophetic statement here that Jesus is doing something intentional in riding in on this donkey. As he mounts the colt with the cloaks of the disciples to sit on, as he enters Jerusalem, he is declaring to them and declaring to us that he is this promised king that he is the righteous one of God who alone is offering salvation. Moreover, he is a humble king who has come to bring peace. 
Now, there are some who simply say that he is a prophet, but no, friends, he is much more than that. He is the incarnate son of promise, the promised king. But there's more to this declaration. Look at the other actions that follow. There's a second act here. After Jesus enters Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple. In verses 12 to 13, Jesus enters Jerusalem to great fanfare, no doubt. There's still a great deal of misunderstanding in the public at large about who he is and what he has come to do. And for those who believe him to be the Messiah, for those who believe him to be the promised king, there would be an expectation of his first act as going and overthrowing the Roman government. But that is not the business that Jesus will attend to here. No, he has business to attend to in his father's house. He comes to the temple and he sees activity that is offensive to him. There are money changers and merchants, animals filling the court of the Gentiles, making it difficult for Gentiles to enter into the area of the temple reserved for them to worship. Now, he's not necessarily upset about the nature of the business. Money changing was necessary because the temple would not receive coins that had idolatrous images printed on them. And everybody needed to buy animals for sacrifice. The issue here is where it is happening. They've they've moved all of this business into the court of the Gentiles inside the temple grounds and as a result are prohibiting people from coming to worship God, prohibiting the nations from coming to worship God. Now remember, one of Matthew's major themes in his gospel is that Jesus is a global king. That his gospel is for all peoples, for all nations. And that's reinforced here again through some references to the Old Testament. There are two, Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. Isaiah 56 describes God's offer of salvation to the foreigner. Let me read just verses six and seven for you. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted at my offer, at my altar, for my house shall be a, a house of prayer. For all peoples, Jesus is making an an incredible declaration through this act of cleansing. He's saying to all of those who are watching, I'm the promised king and I will be a king for all peoples. I have come to speak peace to the nations, as we heard in Zechariah 9, to offer this peace to the nations. And your actions in my temple, the the temple of my father, are prohibiting God's redemptive work to these nations. So I've got to come in, just like God did in Jeremiah 7, and clean up your worship to make sure that it is about the father's business, not just your business. I came to clean this mess up, to purify his people's worship. And this action reveals... What kind of king Jesus will be? Through these prophetic statements, he is the king who will lead the nations to worship God rightly. But there's more. A third act. Jesus declares himself to be the promised king by healing the blind and the lame. 
We see this in verse 14. Right before Jesus comes into Jerusalem, at the end of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus heals two blind men. And now, in the middle of his entry into Jerusalem, he continues that merciful practice to heal those in need. In this case, the blind and the lame. And it's a merciful, miraculous act of restoration. He's restoring these men because they were restricted in their activity in the temple. They were forced to act like Gentiles because of their perceived uncleanness. So Jesus shows mercy to them and relieving them of their bodily ailment. But there's more to this act than just an act of restoration. There's revelation taking place before our eyes. It's part of of this, this work of Jesus to tie himself to messianic expectation. Do you remember the promised work of the Messiah in Isaiah 35? We talked about it earlier in our study of Matthew's gospel. Verses four to seven, let me read them over you. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And when he comes, when he sends his Messiah to do these things, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness. Streams will burst forth in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. When the the Messiah comes, according to God's own word, and establishes his kingdoms, uh, his kingdom. God promises that the blind will see and the deaf will hear, that the lame will leap. And Jesus wants everyone looking, wants everyone witnessing this entry into Jerusalem to know that everything that God promised about the Messiah is being fulfilled in him. He is the king who is ushering in the messianic kingdom. John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, And his teaching on this passage refers back to Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, where John the Baptist is in prison and he sends messengers to to Jesus to ask him, hey, are you really the guy? Are you the one that we have been longing for? And do you remember how Jesus answers this request of John the Baptist? He says to the messengers, well, go and tell him what you see. Tell him that the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, lepers are are being cleansed, the deaf are hearing, even the dead are raised as the good news is being proclaimed. Once again, friends, we have declarative proof, an act of Jesus to show us that he is the promised king. And there's one final act for us to consider. The fourth act seen in verses 15 to 17 as Jesus receives worship. Not surprisingly, all of this wonderful activity, as Matthew writes, has merited quite the response from those who are witnessing them. We've already seen the worship given during Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in verses eight and nine. And in verse 15, that worship continues in the temple from children again reminding us of the true posture of those who worship God. These children, much to the displeasure of those who are watching the chief priests and the scribes, begin to cry out to Jesus, Hosanna, 
Save us, O God, son of David. And the Jewish leaders cannot believe what their ears are hearing. They can't believe that these children are, are worshiping Jesus in this way. And so they challenge him. Jesus, are you hearing this? Are you hearing the blasphemy coming out of these kids' mouth in the temple? Won't you reject it, knowing that it's meant for God? Jesus says in response, I hear them and I receive their praise. Quoting them from Psalm 8 that we read earlier in our time together today, let me remind you of the context in verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So who's the object there? Who is, who is the psalmist decrying or declaring his, his praise to? God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Verse two, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This praise given by God in the mouth of these children is directed toward God and Jesus receives it because he is God. He says they are right to praise him as God because he is the Messiah, the son of promise. He is the greater David. He is the God king that we, that they have been waiting for and he is worthy of their praise. Church family, these four acts make it abundantly clear. If you have not picked up on everything that Matthew has been showing us, may you see today that Jesus is our promised king. The secret is out. He has come to bring peace. He has come to purify. He has come to heal. And he has come to receive our praise. We should rejoice that God has revealed himself to us in Jesus and moreover has revealed to us that Jesus is our rightful king. How should we respond this morning to these incredible stories, this incredible text? Let me just offer you a couple of ways to think about responding this morning. And the first, per, the, the first group of people I wanna address this morning and help encourage you toward response are to those among us who would say they're unbelievers. To those among us who would say that you've never followed Christ. Maybe you're interested in the things of God. Maybe you're interested in things that Jesus has done, but you've never given your life to him. You've never responded in repentance and belief. And I think the clear encouragement from our text today is that you would receive Jesus as king. Listen, Jesus is not merely a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is a king for all peoples. He desires all of us come and to worship him. He is he desires to bring us into peace and to set rightness, to right relationship with God. For all those who call upon him for salvation will find a merciful hand waiting to meet our request with mercy. Would you call upon him today for salvation? Because remember, while he came in humility on a donkey, the Bible tells us that his next coming will be very different. Let me remind us what the Bible says in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. John writing this vision given from God, I saw 
heaven opened. And behold, not a donkey, a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses also. From his mouth comes a sharp, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When our God returns, when Jesus Christ, our King, returns, he is coming in power. He is coming in authority to rule the nations. And hear me today, if you are not in him, when he returns, it will be too late. So don't wait. See our humble King. See him extending this offer of peace and repent and believe in him unto salvation. Let today be the day of your salvation. That's the way that you should respond today. And then for those of us who are in Christ, to the church, I think there are some very practical responses for us to consider as the Holy Spirit moves upon us as we sit before the word of God. And the first is this that we should ask Jesus to hold us accountable in our worship practice. I think this text is calling us to ask a question of ourselves as the people of God. Is there anything in our worship that is prohibiting people from getting to the one true God in Christ? And this is a sobering text to think about. That well-meaning people, people desiring to worship God, began to worship God in such a way that it actually prohibited people from getting to God. That their focus on themselves and practicality actually became a barrier to them accomplishing their purpose, which is ultimately the glory of God. In some ways, moving the, the commerce into the court of the Gentiles made sense. It was convenient. It was closer to the place where you'd offer sacrifice, but it was also a distraction and an obstacle. Church family, we can fill our lives and schedules. We can fill our churches with things, activities, programs that actually distract us and those around us from our ultimate purpose. Let us remember and let us commit ourselves to the ultimate focus of our lives, and that is the glory of God. As a people, we must commit to think of ourselves less and God's glory more. And while it may be convenient, it may not be faithful. And that is, our ultimate goal, that is our ultimate desire, our ultimate goal in everything that we do. Will we commit to be faithful? How many well-meaning practices have actually become distractions in God's church? May we never get so internally focused that we forget our ultimate goal, to make disciples of all nations, to bring his glory to the nations. And that leads us to response number two. Not only should we ask Jesus to hold us accountable in our worship, we should also ask him to help us be reminded of our ultimate purpose. And that is, again, to bring glory to God. And we do that through the proclamation of the gospel. Hear me, church, today. We are a declaring people. 
We have good news to share. We are called to shout out the good news that King Jesus has come. It is not a secret any longer. And yet many of us, I fear, live our lives thinking that it's still a secret. Or at least in practicality, living as if Jesus told us to go tell no one. When in reality, we are called to tell everyone. So here's my question. Are we telling people that King Jesus has come? Are we declaring to him that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and that he has come to offer peace to all those who will call upon him for salvation? Are we warning them that there's coming a day when Jesus will return and that it will be too late? May we be a people who allow the gospel to be continually on our lips. May a burden rest in our hearts for our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, such that we can't leave without knowing that they have heard about the name of Jesus. May the gospel boil over from our hearts because we are rejoicing in the truth that what we could not do, God has done for us in Jesus. When we were lost, when we were hopeless, when we were in despair and our sin, God looked down upon us in mercy. When we were diseased because of sin, he touched us in our uncleanness and made us right with God. He restored us when no one else could. May we never get over that news and may we constantly declare it for the glory of God. And finally, I think this passage is calling us to make sure that our longing is on that day when our king will come again. What sobering news to those who are outside of Christ that Jesus will return should be glorious, joy-filled news for those of us who are in Christ. Oh, friends, can you imagine that day when Jesus will step on the Mount of Olives once again to usher in a new Jerusalem? And again, he ain't gonna be coming on a donkey next time. He's going to be riding on a white horse. And what a glorious vision that will be as a new heaven and a new earth will be established for him to rule and reign over for all of eternity and for us to inhabit as worshipers. This week, as Pastor Billy mentioned earlier, we've seen the brokenness of this world on clear display. We've seen an act of evil before our eyes that has rocked our city. And that can be a very despairing thing. But friends, even though we should be sober about what happened. We should also be filled with hope that brokenness and evil, death, do not have the final say, that Jesus is victorious and there will come a day when all of this injustice will be dealt with. When all the evil will be eradicated and Jesus will reign forever. Let's set our hope on that today, church family and never get over it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the, the Lord to help you know how to respond this week, today, to this text, to the word of God. Do you know Jesus? If you don't, in just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here at the front who would love to encourage, pray with you, if the Lord is leading you in that direction. For those of you who are in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, how should we respond? Are we willing to allow the Lord to evaluate our traditions, our practices, to make sure that they're not 
so internally focused that they're robbing people of the opportunity to get to God? We commit to not be so internally focused that we forget our ultimate purpose. Oh God, would you help us think less of ourselves and more of your glory? Are we gospel declarers? Are we living as if who Jesus is is still a secret? Are we declaring him as good news here and around the world? And are we setting our hearts on that day when Jesus will return? and his glory. Oh, Father, help us be a more faithful people because of our time before your word today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.